about the word that God has, has given this morning. This is in Psalm 31. This again is, is a Psalm of David, but one thing that we do know that anything in the Psalms, and in, in, in an especial way with David, has been written in obviously in the positive sense, not in the sense of his particular sins and the things that he was going through and the areas that he needed to be dealt with and the areas that he, he needed to be separated from, like we continually need to do. But in the positive sense, it was all written in the spirit of Christ. So that when I read this in Psalm 31 and verse 1, it says this, In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. And that was something that Christ constantly and ever did in his humanity. In his impeccable, by the way, humanity. Again, uh, so to stress this for continual teaching, we must realize that Jesus Christ was the spotless lamb from beginning in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1 and verse 35, spotless lamb of God, spotless from his birth on. He had no sin nature. He had a human nature. We have still that can be actuated in us a fleshly nature, the the old man coming back again through the flesh and trying to interfere with who we are in Christ. And this is why we continually need to have Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing us under of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the, of the marrow, and is a critic, not a condemner, but a convincing, loving critic, a con convincer of these truths in us. And so here again, and it says, in you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Here's the result. And this is what happens with us. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, many times we have been, we've had the privilege for God to give us his counsel and to share that verse, that word trust in the Hebrews about talk. And when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart there is laid, L-E-B, and it's our mind. It's mind. L-E-B, laid in the Hebrew, is the mind. So trust in the Lord with all your mind, and that means for the mind of the flesh not to be activated, we must submit our will to Christ. Otherwise, our whole thinking is that. We just continually, as we've been taught here, again, that through the scriptures, in, 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 in Judges 17 and verse 6, and I believe it's 21, verse 25, but if not, just reverse those two, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, Jesus never did that. He did in John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15 and verse 3. He always did those things that pleased the Father. He was constantly obedient to known truth. Again, so here when it says, in you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Again, that word trust in Proverbs 3 and verse 5 is B-A-T-A-C-H, batak. When I trust God, when I submit my will, the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and he cuts us off from fleshly interpretation. And we know what the flesh is. It's extremely selfish. The flesh in each of us that we're not of in Romans 8, 9, 
is very selfish. It has its own plan, its own desires. And always in the flesh, we will put the flesh ahead of known obedience to Jesus Christ. We'll do it every single time. And we will not, in Philippians 2 and verse 3, esteem others better than ourselves. No, we'll continue to look on our own things, but not the things of others. And in Philippians 2 and verse 4, because we don't function in the mind of Christ that's in us, in Philippians 2 and verse 5, and 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. So as a result of this, but Jesus here said this, was there ever any shame in Jesus Christ? None. Is there any shame in us when I function in complete trust? Trust God for everything, for every detail, every circumstance, every situation, every particular time period, what we give our time to, and by the way, who we give our time to. Because if our time is not given to God, for any of us, and we're going to see this again in this chapter, we'll see in 31.15 our times are in his hand. But when I don't trust him and when I don't submit, okay, at the particular time that I should obey and I put it off, I function in a place that's been given up to the enemy in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. And so as a result of this, then, everything about me is myself. I no longer think I have to function in areas of known obedience, known obedience for any of us. But you see here, when I do trust him, that word batak means this, trust in the Lord with all your mind, result, and you will not lean onto your own understanding. That's doing what is right in your own eyes, and in the flesh will take advantage even of the scriptures for itself. To say why, this is why I can continue in disobedience. The reality is in Romans 6, 1 and 15, God forbid that I should sin, but grace may reign. Do we think that grace reigns in any area of disobedience? And if I function in one area of disobedience, what does a little leaven do? All through the scriptures, what does a little leaven do? It affects the whole lump. The whole lump. One area of known disobedience, not continuing in it. Putting myself above the Lord with my time. And when I give up my place, that affects every decision that we make. Every single, every single de decision that we make in the scriptures. And this is why it is very necessary to trust him. And when I do trust him, when I trust the Lord, when I do, then he cuts off the flesh. And then he replaces it with himself, meaning who I truly am in Christ. You know, when it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, to know no man after the flesh, that starts with ourself. And we're going to see this morning these principles here in the word of God. We'll see how they are brought out in a very clear, very clear way. And again, that is, as we have said, that is not doing things and thinking it's right in our own eyes. You know, this is the flesh that's in us that we're not of. In Romans 8, verse 9, flesh is in us, but we're not of it. But we will do what is right in our own eyes when I function in known disobedience. 
delayed obedience, knowing what I should do is right and not to do it. We've been taught here by God's grace, all of us. Delayed obedience momentarily, as soon as the word comes and I know I should do it and I don't, instantly, delayed obedience is disobedience. And disobedience is sin. And sin, in God's eyes, in Psalm 51 and verse 4, is evil. It is evil for any of us. And then again, in Judges 17 and verse 6 and 21 and verse 25 of Judges, we all do what is right in our own eyes. So the flesh cuts off the intimate, loving experience of Jesus Christ, the treasure that's in the vessel. When Christ is not the treasure, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Listen, when Christ is not the treasure in the vessel, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, then it becomes about my time, my place, my circumstances, my situations, my finances, everything. I place myself above it all. And of course, Jesus came in John 15 and verse 22, and he did away with every excuse of disobedience, every cloak and, and excuse of disobedience. So when I trust him, then the sword of the spirit comes in, takes the things of Christ, and separates the soul, fleshly living, self-conscious, everything's about me, from the spirit. <laughs> you ever notice that when you and I trust God for everything, our family, our work, our situations, our circumstances, our finances, that when we do that, when we trust God for all of those, you know what happens? We get lost in his presence. And when I do, now it's others. Because I'll, I'll be so busy with God taking care of me that he can use me to bless others. Isn't that an amazing thing to understand this morning? To not live a selfish, shameful life. Well, in Christ, is there any shame? Hebrews 2, 11. Is there any shame in, 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 as far as God's concerned about who we are positionally in Christ towards us. Is there any shame? Absolutely not. And we need the word, and this is why God gives the word this morning for specific areas of our life, because in 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, he gives us the word so that we don't experience shame as a result of the unsubmitted flesh, the will. This has to do with the will. And this is brought out very uh, clearly. So, it says, in you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Now, of course, of course, this was never a trial for Jesus Christ. It never was, okay? And what it wasn't. His life was one whole continual life of obedience. Again, this is brought out in John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15, and verse 3. And he did always his meat, in John 4, and verse 34, was to to do the will of the Father and to finish the work, fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 47 and 8, brought out incredibly in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, in those first 14 verses, in a very, very, very beautiful way. Aren't you and I thankful for the treasure of God's word that he gives us this morning? Would we put anything ahead of it? Would we put anything ahead of him? Because whatever we put ahead of him in known disobedience, whatever we put ahead of him is an idol 
And that you know what that idol is? That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Have you ever heard this? And then so you see this. Then when I, he delivers me in my righteousness. What does that mean? He delivers me in, he delivers me in your righteousness. Well, who is our righteousness? In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, Jesus Christ. Does he ever remove his eye in Job 36 and verse 7 from the righteous? No. So I have God's side of me in Christ, which is what? There's no shame. But where does the shame come from? Disobedience in the flesh. I know what I should do. For instance, me. I know what I should do as a husband, but I will submit to my wife's counsel that might not be of God. It's called the role reversal. Now the flesh is active. We can't do this because of this. I can't, we can't do this because of this. We should be doing this first. <laughs> you ever hear any of those things? I'm going to tell you honestly, okay? That is the wife back in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. She's saying here, take and eat of the disobedience, my disobedient thoughts, whether I'm deceived or not. And this is why we as husbands need to take the initiation in terms of every area of obedience, every single area. Because if we don't, then we switch roles and then, then the Eve says to Adam, here, take and eat. And I'll do it in the flesh because I say that I love my wife. But really, it's just loving self. It's a self. There's no, it's not even love. Okay? Because lust is that thing that is the great antithesis to God's love. And without it, there's no protection. And it leaves me doing what is right in my own eyes. And if it's my own eyes and not the eye of Christ, it's not that. Then where does it come from? the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. Honey, we can't do this because of this. We shouldn't do this. Honey, we've done enough. We've done more than enough. We don't have to do it anymore. Of course. In any time, in time, in a place, in complete obedience to the word of God, when should that be? What would it be like for us what would it be like for us if God stopped giving himself to us? What would that be like? What are we like when we stop giving God our time, our place, our everything? What would we be like? We'd be very selfish. And the enemy would give all of us every single excuse to continue that way. And every area of disobedience is the experience of the flesh, and that's bondage, and that's called sin, and we become a slave experientially in John 8, verse 34, to the enemy, to his lie. This is what makes it very important for husbands to take the initiation to their wives. And of course, if, if there are women that don't have uh, particular heads in God's order in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, then there's always the fact that they can have Christ as the head through counsel of preaching and teaching. That Christ becomes the head. He becomes the authority. Not the pastor, not anyone else. Not anyone else. So here it says, in you, O Lord, do I put my trust. 
So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Result, you will not, you will stop doing what is right in your own eyes and living in every excuse to not be obedient. Thereby in the flesh, for any, for unsaved, what's the difference between the flesh that's in me that I'm not of and the unsaved world? No difference. Because in the flesh, just like the unsaved world, you live in constant deception. You live in, dece- you live in deception, you live in denial. You don't need a provision. You don't need to be obedient. Psalm 10, verse 4 says, God is not in all their thoughts. And what that means is, it's not, he's not that he's in some, but not in others. No, they, he is not. God is not in the thought of the flesh. Not. The source of all our shame experientially is the flesh. Every one of us. Every single one of us. We think that we think all of, obviously, and in the flesh, this is true for all of us. We think we can offer God sacrifices in this area because I've done enough. That in 1 Samuel 15, 22, God is not interested in those sacrifices. Is he interested in Eight areas of obedience, and he's going to blow off two areas? Not going to do it. God is not requiring that kind of sacrifice when I leave this undone. He's not. For rebellion is this witchcraft. You come under the spell. The flesh comes under the spell of the atmosphere. Satan rebelled in heaven in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, Isaiah 14, 7 to 17. He rebelled. And you know what? He wasn't satisfied with his intrinsic cacos evil. He had to go around and infect others. And that's what the flesh does in us. His tail in Revelations 12 and verse 4 drew a third of the stars of heaven. Stars in the old covenant were angels. Absolutely no question about that. The ponderance of all the scriptures. Now we are the sons of God. The reversal of the order is that Christ now has reversed the order. (laughs) That's us in Christ. And I'd go back to that. For rebellion is as witchcraft. And stubbornness, refusal, stubbornness is as idolatry. And God forbid. And does does he see us in that? In other words, he can see me in disobedience. He won't treat me after that. He'll treat me in who I am in Christ because I have a father. And that's where the loving discipline comes in. In Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, you can read those 29 verses, but explicitly begins in the fourth chapter, a fourth verse of the 12th chapter of Hebrews right to the 29th verse. God's a consuming fire. He's going to consume it in the heat of his love for us. So here he says, in you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. You ever hear this? The world will always tell you this. To trust your own heart. Trust your own heart. You know enough of the word. You can trust your own heart now. Oh, really? That's outside of God's order. No, no, don't trust your own heart. Don't trust your own will unsubmitted, your own mind, your own, your own emotions, your own will, your own self-consciousness, and your own conscience. Don't do it. God doesn't want us to do it because there's shame 
Not in our position in Christ, that's unchangeable and sin doesn't even touch it, but there certainly is in the experience through a lack of a submitted will, living in sin through the flesh. And I go right back to the old man ways. I can't tell you how many ways in my own life, and I'm going to start there, in my own life where this needs to be, and God has dealt with me with these issues in my, young, in my youth, but where other members in the body will tell other members that it's okay to live in the flesh. It's okay to live that old way because after all, that's your capacity and God's going to give you grace. No, he's not. God never gives me, Ed, never gives me grace to live in known disobedience. sin. He just does not do that. In Romans 6, 1 and Romans 15. Uh, Romans 3, verse 8. Should I do evil? that good may abound? No, God forbid. God forbids it. The cross cut off. We're going to get into this at a future time again, and I'm going to do this, finish this on Monday, and teach what circumcision is to the Jews. There was circumcision. There was flesh that had to be cut off. (laughs) This is the preaching of the word for our experience. This is what it teaches. You and I are to put God first. If I put my wife, myself, my children ahead of God, that's not God's order. I must trust him first because then that cuts me off from living selfishly and ignorantly. You know, again, even in kingdom teaching is Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God, his rule and reign over you. Then all these other details, and you'll see that in Matthew, the sixth chapter, you'll see why it starts with prayer in the first few verses of the sixth chapter of Matthew and ends up in verse 34. You don't live in anxious thoughts and anxious things and lustful patterns. You just don't. It gets cut off. And this is what the preaching of the word does to us to keep us pure in our own sight, through true uh, purity and holiness, true holiness. And so when I trust him, he delivers me in the righteousness that he's made mine in Christ, who is the source of my righteousness. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And you know, in Psalm 11, verse 7, God, the righteous Lord, loves righteousness. He does not love disobedience. Interesting. So now, what does he say? Now, did Jesus trust him? Of course. Was there any shame in Jesus trusting him? No. And is he my life in Colossians 3 and verse 4? Yes. Will there be any shame when I trust him? Absolutely not. When I don't trust him and I go by my own understanding, my own, I do what is right in my own eyes, I have a right to do that. Listen, we don't have a right to put anything ahead of Jesus Christ. We we do not have that right. We don't. Whatever happened to John 15 and verse 13 and 1 John 3 and verse 16, greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friend, for the body. Whatever happened to that for any of us? Then he says this in verse 2, bow down your ear to me. What does that mean? You know, if I just, what does that mean? To bow down your ear to me. 
Do you remember in Exodus 21 and verse 6, when the Hebrew servant served his master after seven years, and when he said, I will not go from you. Listen to what it says there. I will not go from you. I'm going to stay and serve you forever. Me, my wife, and my children. Do you understand? Do I understand how when I'm the head, the initiator, how my obedience or disobedience affects my wife and then has an effect on my children and then an effect on the local assembly? Do we understand that? The servant would then have, the master would take him, put his ear, the lobe of his ear, on the, on the post of the door. And this goes into so much more that you and I could even capture, all of us, this morning. He would take an awl and strike it through. He would strike it through. You know what that's a picture of? That is a, Exodus 21 and verse 6 is bringing out the reality of Hebrews chapter 10, specifically in 5 through 14. A body you have prepared for me. And where was that? What, where did that body come? Where did that body end up on a cross pierced for you and I? First and foremost, for propitiation for the Father, then to be a substitute and a reconciler constantly. Constantly. To be we need to be reconciled experientially. We need to be renewed. No wonder it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your whole body. Okay, because in the body is the, is the soul and the spirit, which are going to be preserved blameless for believers in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, because faithful is he who calls you in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 24. I beseech you, brethren, in Romans 12, 1, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your only reasonable service. And reasonable service has no shame in it. And stop being conformed to this world. You tell me, how does the world live? Me, my family, first, and everything else, second. <sighs> I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And stop being conformed to this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that that truth that Christ is in you can prove to you who you truly are. And there's no shame in that. None whatsoever. None. So when it says, bow down your ear to me, God, you know why God listens to us? And here's our cry. Read Psalm, the fifth chapter. Read Psalm 56 and verse 8 and verse 9. You know why he hears that cry? Because Jesus had his ear pierced. And you know what that speaks of in Psalm 50 and verse 4 and 5? It speaks of absolute, complete obedience, of which there's no shame. No shame whatsoever. No shame in it. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles and some prophets. New Testament in both cases, of which that's finished. Canon of scriptures was completed in Revelation and the book of Revelations in AD 96. And some evangelists, those that win souls, win people, and bring them back into the body so they can be taught, they don't have a private plan. They do not have a private plan. Right? 
Then it says this, he gave some pastors and teachers, right? And what is their work? Their work is Acts 6, verse 4. They are to give themselves to prayer. They're not to serve tables. They are not to do so. That hasn't changed. That has not changed. Acts 6, 4, I will give, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. As God ministers it to us, it comes through us to others. But he does that for the individuals, for the work of the ministry. What do we think that is in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 12? What's the work of the ministry? What do we think that involves? Does that involve time, place, everything, circumstance, situation, and finances? It absolutely does. Every bit of it does. So if I'm disobedient in one area, the flesh is activated, and it affects every other area. And every other circumstance and situations, the things that we so forget, any of us, God never bypassed one in Jesus Christ on the cross. Never did. Never did. So bow down your ear to me. That's humility. That is humility. Humility. I can, I can do what I want. We have a right to do what we want. We have a right to do that. And we know it, do you? Do I? Do I have the counsel of his word? Do I have the full preponderance of particular scriptures in the word of God, or do I continually need it in God's order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40? Keep out the confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Confusion is me, fleshly thoughts, mixing them with God's thoughts, and then in Psalm 50 and verse 21, we make ourselves like we were equal with God in our thinking. You thought you were all together. You thought I was, God says in Psalm 50 verse 21. You thought you were all together like me. Do you know what, I'm going to, you know what he says? I'm going to come and set them in order. Now, for us in Christ, when we live in areas of the flesh, God will set them in order without condemnation and without accusation, but with fierce face-to-face conviction. Face-to-face conviction. And until I give in to his love, protection of his love, I will function in the flesh, and I will miss intimacy with Christ. And boy, I'll tell you, if there's one thing I know in my life and felt it and, and understood it this morning, nothing replaces intimacy with him. There's where all our peace is. There's where all our treasure is. There is our everything. Christ is all in Colossians 3 and verse 11. And in all, whether they realize it or not, he makes his, his reign to, to go on the just and the unjust and his son to shine also in Matthew 5, 44 and 45. That's what it says. So bow down your ear to me. This is humility. 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger, you young ones, submit yourself. Submit yourself in 1 Peter 5, 5 is Hebrews 13, 17. You are to submit to those guides that God has given you. You are not to live on your own, to think that you can or that you know enough. You know, the flesh knows just enough to still live in disobedience. Did you know that? Did I know that in my flesh? I've had the opportunity to learn it through a lot more years than some. I've had that opportunity to do so. Bow down your ear to me. Soon, so you younger, submit yourself to the elder. Be clothed with humility. That's always obedience and intriguability. 
Then it says this, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Who's the mighty hand of God? Well, 1 Peter 5, 5, and 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 is Hebrews 13, 17. There are many men of God that God has brought into my life that I study, and they are all in heaven in Hebrews 13, 17. But now, what we have now is we don't exclude the ones now that are still here that are the guides in Hebrews 13, 17, we don't need them. We can just go to the sources in Hebrews 13, 7. You think that's, you think, and I think that's body life? You, do we think that God would have a study and it would be a part of his, be a, not a part of his order in the body of Christ in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we can start in verse 12 and go right to verse 28 can see it clearly there. Bow down your ear to me, and then what happens? Deliver me speedily. Now, did that happen to Jesus Christ? Did that happen to Jesus Christ? Yes, it did. It happened. Because God did deliver him. He rose from the dead. That was the answer to his prayer. Now, the enemy, they had their hour and power of darkness. In Luke 22 and verse 53, they had their hour where they thought they were going to get rid of him. Little did they know in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, 7 and 8, that was God's way of dealing with them and all our enemies and all our sins, separating us from them forever. Now, you know what the flesh does when we don't obey, when we refuse God's order, when we refuse it, we make ourselves altogether like God. Psalm 50, verse 21. God will come and set them in order. I'll tell you where the place is where he sets them in order. It's called the local assembly. You cannot bypass God's order now on this earth. That's Hebrews 13, 17. Just because I can take these sources in Hebrews 13, 17. Because if you do and I do that, apart from the body, it's just the flesh. It's knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, it's knowledge. But you know what knowledge does apart from submission to each other? Without submission, in 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder, elder, be clothed with humility. You know what that is? Do I know what that is? That's exactly what that is. That's absolute disobedience. That's what it is. I can study on my own. We should, but where do you get it from? We're in God's order for all of us, every one of us. So we get delivered. He, he, Christ was delivered speedily because he rose from the dead. Matthew 28, 1 through 6. He rose from the dead. No question about it. Read 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and the four, first four verses there. He rose from the dead. And we rose in him, in Christ, in Romans 8, verse 11, because he's our life in Colossians a three verse three, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For Christ who is our life, when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. And this is Colossians three. And you can look at verses one through four. But don't stop there. Go to five. Cut off the flesh. Cut it off. Romans eight verse 13. Colossians three and verse five says, mortify. Render it useless, the flesh. Render it dead as it is. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, render it dead. Render it. Dead areas, living in dead areas of delayed obedience. 
and taking from the enemy in the flesh every excuse why we can do it. And we can even back it up with others. Well, Jesus prayed, <laughs> really bow down your ear, deliver me, because you are my strong rock. Who was our strong rock? That we see in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 is that foundation that Christ is in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And that foundation rock that Christ is himself in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And God forbid we should build on anything else in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. Because the only thing I can build on when it's not the foundation of Christ and absolute obedience is the flesh. And it's extremely subtle. Boy, I, I could say, young people, let me tell you, and, and people that are old that live in young areas, uh, flee youthful lust in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. You can be 80 years old living youthful lust, never having areas dealt with. Never. It's not popular. I can tell you right now, this kind of preaching and teaching from Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ, is not popular to the flesh. It's not popular at all. Neither was Jesus popular in the world system. Neither will we be. For bow down your ear, deliver me speedily, for you are my strong rock. For a house of defense to save and deliver us. And what's that for us today? But what is our house? We are the tabernacle. We are the house of God. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We are that. But we have a place. That house is the body of Jesus Christ. That becomes the place of continual learning, growing, and teaching in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 in the body of Christ in God's specific order. And we brought that, that was brought out to us this morning in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And again in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and verse 12, right to the end of that chapter in verse 28. So you can see the flow of how we operate in the 12th chapter. We're not separate members. We don't have our separate way of living, our separate plans. Oh, we just don't. Because is that love? Go into the 13th chapter. Is that love? No. Doing anything apart from the body of Christ. What is, and, and, in a true sense too, by the way, in a true sense, is that love? No. Selfishness love. All the shame for us experientially, the enemy wants us to live in. Again, this is what brings out the reality of 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. This is what brings it out. So he does not want us to live in shame in the flesh, but the enemy does. That's why he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Put yourself first. Here's the excuse. What is the excuse? My family. It's my family. Okay, God won't take care of us. I think back of people, how they function, and God was blessing them in every decision that they made, and he was faithful. Then some things came in. And then some of those things left. But what happened to the obedience that once was? There was excuses, and the enemy gives them. Why we have to be careful about who we're with, no matter who it is, because they can interfere with my obedience. And that's why Proverbs 13 and verse 20 
brings out reality. That brings out a reality, and that brings out the reality of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. For a house of defense to deliver us. For you are my rock and my fortress. He's impenetrable. When I trust him and give my will over and obey him instantly, he is a fortress for me. Enemy can't penetrate. Then that keeps me safe in the peace that I have in Christ in Philippians 4 and verse 7. That peace is a garrison. It's a fortress that keeps out all the anxious, lustful things and all the areas that give me the excuse to live in disobedience. Not going to escape it. What makes us think if I'm not obedient here, that if I go somewhere else, I can be obedient and God won't deal with it. If your child was disobedient in your house, you would deal with it. And if they were disobedient in the store in love, would you still lovingly discipline them? Same is true for us in Christ. Husbands, leaders, take proper initiation. It has to do with the mind of Christ and not submitting ourselves to anything else, to the subtlety of the enemy. Genesis 3, 1. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. The enemy is very subtle. He's very, very subtle in the flesh that is in us. And that's why we need to constantly be renewed. The renewing in Ephesians 4, and verse 23, is the separating, sanctifying process. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, Jesus brought it out in John 17 and verse 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And he separated himself in perfect obedience. So we would have a place and not an excuse in John 17 and verse 19. You are my, my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, the name of Jesus Christ, his person and what he's accomplished for each of us individually that we can experience and only experience when we submit our will in absolute obedience and don't delay in any area anymore. Therefore, for your name's sake, you will lead me. The flesh either leads us or Christ. You will lead me and guide me. How does he guide us today? Hebrews 13, 17. How does he guide us? Ephesians 4 and verse 8. Ephesians 4 and verse 8. Fulfilling Psalm 68, verse 18. Ephesians 4, verse 8 says, <laughs> makes it very clear, right? Very, very clear how he's captured us. And capturing us through the will being submitted, he gave, he gave gifts unto us. The gifts are the men themselves that he's given to the body of Christ. Those are the gifts. Those are the ones, okay, listen here now. Those are the ones that give themselves to prayer and to the deep study of the word of God. That's Ephesians 4.11, pastors and teachers. Then the others enter into the work of the ministry, which involves my time, my place, my finances. Oh boy, don't talk, don't talk about that one. Shh. Oh boy. Flesh don't want to hear that. Here we go again. Yeah, that's right. You know why? Because God's going to bring us back in areas where we refuse to obey. And until we do, we don't go forward. We live in abstracts. We live in the subtlety of the enemy. Any of us 
any of us in any way. Well, lead me and guide me. Yeah, how? Ephesians 4.11, Hebrews 13.17. Well, what if those leaders fail in areas? Um, who chose them? Will God lovingly discipline them? Yeah, whose business is that? Then what does he do? He pulls me out of the net. He pulls me out of the net. You know what the net is in Proverbs 29, 25? It's the area I give up my place in Ephesians 4, 27, and I mingle with them in Proverbs 24, 21 to them that are given to change. And what's the change? <laughs> I leave experiencing Christ and freedom and peace and go back into the flesh, and the little doggy in Proverbs 26, 11 goes right back to the vomit. Those, listen, whatever fulfilled us with material things, did that ever fulfill us like only Christ could? Never. This is our continual lesson for each of us. Pull me out of the net, the gin, the enemy, the flesh. That's what it is. The net for the believer that's in Christ that they're not of, that the enemy can use is the flesh. It becomes a trap, a snare. You know the animal, when they got caught in that gin and that thing went around their leg? They couldn't get away. They were held captive in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26 because their will was not submitted. And thereby, the enemy could cause the flesh that he would actuate in the experience of the believer to oppose himself. How much shame do we need? How much shame do I need to stop living in disobedience in the flesh? How much do I need? Will God stop his loving discipline. If you love your child in any area that she was or he was living in disobedience, would you not lovingly correct them and would you stop? What would be the means that would keep you from stopping? It would be your love. Where does your love flow through? It flows through grace. Who does he give grace to? In James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Again, 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Who's the hand of God? Those are the Bible teachers. That he may exalt you and you in who you are in Christ. That he may exalt you in due time. Not what you think is your time. Not because you think and I think we know enough. Pull me out of the net. Pull me out of the confusing reasoning of the flesh unto Satan. Please pull me out, Lord. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of a stronghold. What's a stronghold? Areas of known disobedience. I still, I've lived there my whole life. Maybe I didn't hear certain portions of the word preached. And when I did, and they were true in the light of the scriptures, and I didn't like it, I'll still function in the flesh in disobedience. Any of us. Pull me out of that net, those confusing thoughts, those imaginations, those false reasonings where we do what's right in our own eyes. We lose sight of Christ. My eyes no longer single in Matthew 6 and verse 22. And if the light that you think and I have is just knowledge without experience and, and submission and obedience, it becomes darkness. 
How great is that darkness, is that deception, that denial, that rebellion, that stubbornness. And that's the flesh that's in us. We're not of it. And there's why we constantly need to be separated in the sanctifying process of growing in grace and in knowledge. You can't know 2 Peter 3.18 without 1 Peter 5, 5, 6 through 10 and James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Can't know it, can't have a proper experience apart from that grace. And we know that his love only flows through grace and that's who he gives grace to. They experience finally his loving protection. What do we need to be protected most from? The flesh in us. Has all our enemies been dealt with? Has all our sins been dealt with? Yes. Absolutely. What's the one that he has to do? Listen, the worst worst word, I think, for the Christian is called self, the flesh. I I have a right to do this. I have a right to do it. That's not enough. What? Good thing he's not, he's not that way towards us. No, they constantly live in sin, and I've done so much and given them. And, huh, okay, I'm done. He's not that way with us. Thank God he's not that way with me in terms of any of my failures and my disobedience. For you are my strength. That's called grace. Joel 3.10, 2 Corinthians 12.9. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. That means we could become, for us, of course, this was Christ on Calvary, fulfilling one of those seven sayings that was finished on the cross, the fullness of the perfection of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished and finished. Those seven sayings on the cross, we'll get into those at a different time. The fullness of our salvation that we need to have worked out in us. Can God work out areas? of who we are in Christ when we live in the flesh. No, no. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation. How? How do we work that out? Your own salvation with a reverence and trembling at the word, not resisting, not turning my back on it. For it is God which works in you both to will through that submission and to do in obedience of his good pleasure, meaning I will experience Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I will experience it beautifully. And it's not just for myself. Into your hands, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord of truth. That is, that's what Jesus Christ, that happened in answer to his prayer. Jesus' prayer was answered, but it was answered through death so that he, the life, would come out, propitiate the Father, and then become our substitute and thereby constantly reconciling, renewing us, getting out the wrong thoughts and putting in God's full thought, which is Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Into your hands I commit my, I commit my spirit. Remember, he gave himself over to death. Death never took him, and this is John 10, 17, and 18. John 10, 17, and 18, without any doubt about it. You have redeemed me, O Lord of truth. What does that mean? He took our place. He's redeemed us. Is he the treasure? You know what they're going to do with all the gold and silver that they hoarded up for themselves. Did you know that? 
In Isaiah 2 and verse 20, when Christ, and this is not for us, when he comes back to deal with his enemies, they take, they take and take all their gold and silver and they run and they hide in caves. And then they end up throwing it to the moles and to the bats because that's the value of it without Christ. There's no value in disobedience. There's no value in the things that he gives us when we don't return them to him. There's no value in them at all. You just continue to live in lust, and lust is insatiable. I, you and I in the flesh, we can't get enough. We will never have enough. Listen, we will never have enough good circumstances and situations. We will never have enough of seeking to do ease and comfortability. We will never have, you ask the rich people, and I grew up with them at a very young age, multimillionaires, and they were some really unhappy, miserable people, because you will never have enough gold and silver. You just won't. Because Christ is the true gold. You read that in Psalm the 19th chapter. Read those 14 verses. He's the true treasure. He is. God forbid we should come uh, short of what he wants us to hoard up in us of himself. He's the giving God. Then, then into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm going to be teachable. You have redeemed me when I'm like that. Oh, Lord, God of what? Truth. It's Christ in us. I have hated them that regard lying vanities. What's a vanity? Thinking that some kind of material thing can replace Christ. <laughs> Never can. Regard lying vanities. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen, let's just read. Let's listen. Listen to Solomon. Don't, don't listen to me. Listen to Solomon. He had more money and more women than anyone probably, even to this day. He was a trillionaire. And what did he call it apart from Christ? What did he say? Empty, empty. That's what the cry of the flesh is. Empty, empty. Oh, wretched man that I am, experientially living in the flesh. Romans 7, verse 24. It's not going to say, who's going to help me to live here? Who will deliver me so I can continue to live here? Who will deliver me from this body of sin, lust? Oh, I thank God that Jesus Christ has, that he has. And I can thank him, and I thank him with you. But, you know, I, hate, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, meaning I hate the flesh in me. All you that love God in Psalm 97, verse 10, hate evil. Flesh is evil. No good in it in Romans 7, 18 and John 6, 63. It's no good in it at all. I've hated lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. And when I do, I'm glad. And now I rejoice in his mercy. And then I see that you considered my trouble. Where's all the trouble for the believer? Where's it all located? It's in the flesh. Disobedience. Honey, we don't have to do that anymore. Honey, you did enough. You did this. You did that. Look at what we did. And look at what we're not doing. Flesh. Profits nothing. Doesn't profit a thing. You've considered my trouble. And you have known my soul in adversities and has not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Now, have we been shut up in, in the hand of the enemy as we close this morning? Have we been shut up positionally? No. 
but can we be shut up experientially? Yes. That's why the preaching and teaching of the word of God, and that's in, in, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, the servant of the Lord, the worshiper, must not strive, areas of the flesh, but be gentle, apt to teach, highly skillful in the word of God. Highly skillful. To bring those out from the enemy, causing them, Christians, to oppose themselves who are taken captive by his will and not the will that Christ has finished in them, who he is in them. This is what we need constantly, constantly. Let's not pretend anymore, okay? Let's not pretend. Can I pretend that I say that I love God when I live in disobedience? Well, 1 John 5, 1 to 3 brings it out clearly. I'm not, I don't want to be a pretender anymore on Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Stop it. Don't say, don't say that I love God. I can't say, Ed, I can't say that I love God and still live in disobedience. It's not true. I'm not returning his love. 1 John 4, 10, 1 John 4, 19, not returning his love. And don't say you love another member of the body when you live in known disobedience. When you're obedient all the way here, then something happened. And then God dealt with it, but still live in disobedience. Boy, God forbid, and I'm speaking that for myself. God forbid. The flesh, prophets, nothing. There's no profit. What that means is no love in it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Thereby, there's no value in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. There's no value outside of his loving me. And the enemy will give us plenty to replace it. Got to go and I got to have all these thrills. I got to do all these things. And I'm going to call it fellowship. No, it's not. You need to grow up. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, grow up in him. We need to be men. I need to be a man. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13, I need to watch. I quit like a man. 1 Corinthians 13 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things of the flesh. I put them away. Don't be around others, Christians, that say they love you and say it's okay to live, live in the areas and still in the self-life. Don't have anything to do with them. That's why we need proper initiation. Listen, that starts in the home. And if it's not there, it doesn't go anywhere. And Father, we thank you so much for your precious love and your precious counsel for us and your love that so protects us. In Jesus' name, amen.